This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. As an executive business leader, you make many decisions and difficult decisions each and every day. These decisions greatly affect your business and also many people individually, the people who work for your company, your clients and customers, and other stakeholders who have a stake in the business one way or the other, including shareholders. And in addition, you know that you are a marketplace ministry leader. That means that God has placed you in your position and in your workplace to make a difference, a difference that you can make only with and through God. And what I will say about God is that he feeds those who come to his table ready to be fed. So today, what this is all about is why executive business leaders need to spend lots of time in prayer with God. We'll talk about the importance of prayer for relationship, for revelation, for instruction, for participation, and for victory or success. Maintaining our relationship or connection with God is paramount. Jesus' ministry, if you look at it, was characterized by a close connection with his disciples. He is the vine, and we are the branches. And apart from him, as he says, we can do nothing. We have no life as branches if we're cut off from the vine. When we're connected to the vine, That's where we receive all of our sustenance, the sustenance that's needed for our own lives and also to minister to other people. So as an executive leader, your relationship connection to the vine is essential to your success. One of the things that God desires is that we relate to him as friends. And in John 15, 15, Jesus makes the comment that he no longer would call his disciples servants, but rather he would call them friends. He says, I have called you friends. And we know, and James 2.23 talks about it, but clearly the first covenant, the Old Testament scriptures also say that Abraham was called a friend of God. And when you are a friend of God, you will get to hear and to know more about what God is planning, what God is doing. He reveals his plans to his friends, whereas the servant doesn't necessarily know all that's going on. And in Genesis 18, 17, God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? And this is when God was planning to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But because Abraham was a friend of God, he also got some individual information about what God was planning and what God was doing. And later, we will find that when 
Lot was getting ready to leave out of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was the angels of God who took the hands of Lot, his wife and his two daughters, and led them out of the city. So what I would say is that Christianity is a way of life, not a religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God, and to reach God on man's terms, our own terms. And what God does with that, he destroys all the towers of Babel. And if you remember, the Tower of Babel was this big, tall tower that people of the world built at the time with the intention of reaching God. And so God tears down all the towers of Babel because God's plan, his sovereign plan and design is not that we would build a tower to him, rather that he, in the form of the Messiah, in the form of his son, in the form of Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, his intention was to come to us. And he, in fact, did that through his Messiah. He came to us. God wants that relationship, and it's initiated by him, has already been initiated by him through his son. And when you think about the first and the greatest commandment, when Jesus was asked, well, there's all these commandments, which one is the greatest? And Jesus' answer was to love the Lord your God with all of your soul, heart, and mind. Again, that speaks of relationship, relationship with God, loving him with soul, heart, and mind. And then he goes on in John 15, 13 to say, no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And we already know that Jesus demonstrated that type of love and that he allowed himself to go to the cross. And he says, no one sent him there against his will. He went by choice according to the Father's will and his own will to be the sacrifice for all of us. So he was establishing that love relationship and we reciprocate when in daily prayer we maintain our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, not only were we called friends, at that point he called us the children and sons of God, heirs, joint heirs with Jesus because we were now the brothers and sisters of Jesus. We were brethren, if you will, because Jesus was the first fruits from the grave, the first one to be raised from the dead in a permanent way. And we also will have that opportunity if, in fact, we put our trust and faith in him and believe in him as the Messiah while we are here. That's what we have to look forward to, is an ongoing, everlasting relationship with the triune God, and to be called the sons and the children of God. And I don't know if you remember one time post-resurrection, and Jesus was on the shore, and he saw the disciples who were fishing, and they hadn't found any fish. Their fishing expedition seemed to be fruitless, and he called to them from the shore and said, you know, children, you know, have you any fish? And 
Thus, that notation of them as children. And when they had no fish, he miraculously provided a catch so great they could barely haul it into shore. And he had already made breakfast for them anyway. So when you are a child of God, there is tremendous privilege, this tremendous blessing and provision. And so we want to maintain that father and child relationship through prayer. So that's number one, relationship. It's the primary and main reason we pray to God, acknowledging him for who he is. The second purpose of prayer is revelation, because God wants to let his children know, his friends know what they need to know that they can't possibly know apart from his revelation. We have to remember that God is the one who sees all. He knows what's going on in your workplace. He knows aspects of what's happening in your business that you don't even know at this point. So when we think about this context of deep relationship with God, it also comes with this revelation. So I'm reminded of Second Kings, the sixth chapter, and starting at about verse 8, and Elisha, the prophet of Israel, would supply information to the king of Israel about what the king of Syria was doing. And at that time, Syria was coming against Israel, wanting to fight them and battle them and defeat and destroy them. However, every battle plan that the king of Syria made, God revealed it to Elisha, his prophet. And Elisha told it to the king of Israel. And as a result, every battle plan of the Syrians was thwarted because the king of Israel knew exactly what he was going to do and he would prepare for it. So finally, the king of Syria thought to himself, who on my team is a traitor? Who is going over to Israel and telling them what I'm doing? And his people said, no, it's none of us. We're not traitors. It's God's prophet over there. Elisha is telling the king of Israel, even the thoughts you have in your bed at night. So that's how powerful our God is. He knows what's happening, and then he reveals it to those who belong to him. Later, when the king of Syria brought his army and camped out at Elisha's house, Elisha wasn't afraid because God had given him supernatural eyes to see the whole host of God's army surrounding him. And he knew that he had God's protection from this Syrian army. And when Elisha's servant was afraid, he asked God to open his eyes because Elisha told the servant, greater is he who's with us than those who are with the Syrian army. And Elisha's servant looks around, I don't see anybody but the two of us, and there's a whole bunch of them. However, when his eyes were opened, and he could see with spiritual eyes, he saw the chariots of fire. He saw all the host of heaven camp there with them. So in the first covenant, the Old Testament, revelation came through God's prophets. And we know that in this New Testament era, that God's revelation comes primarily through the Holy Spirit, 
through God's Spirit who leads, guides, and directs us every day and provides revelation about what God is doing and where we should be. So we find in Acts, the 16th chapter, starting at about verse 6, we see Paul has been traveling to various places, and he thinks now is the time to go to Asia and to preach the gospel there. However, the Holy Spirit of God prevented him from going to many towns, many cities, and to Asia altogether. And eventually, the Apostle Paul gets a vision in the night of a man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So it seemed like a good idea to go to Asia. The God idea was to go to Macedonia. So in our lives as business leaders and executives, we don't just want a good idea. We want a God idea. So in addition to relationship, in addition to revelation, the third piece of this is instruction because God's instruction comes out of his revelation. So later in the account of Elisha and the Syrian army, what Elisha did is he told the Syrian people who had come that he would take them to the place that they wanted to go. And he asked God to blind them. So he blinded them. And instead of taking them to where they said they wanted to go, he took them to Samaria. So now they're in Samaria. And so the king of Israel said, well, what should I do with these people? Should I kill them all? And Elijah said, no, you don't kill them. As if you had captured people in a battle, you wouldn't slaughter them and kill them at that point. So he said, no, prepare a feast for them. Bring them food, bring them something to drink. And so that's what happened. They prepared this great feast for their enemies. And their enemies ate the food, feasted on it, went back home to Syria. And the Syrians didn't come anymore to oppose Israel to come against Israel. Now, that particular battle plan didn't involve any fighting. It involved preparing a feast for the enemy. Now, that's a God plan. We probably wouldn't think of that on our own, and yet that's what God wanted the king of Israel to do in that situation. So, left to our own devices, we will not have that instruction, that godly instruction that comes from God himself. And this reminds us again to remember that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. His methods are not the same as ours. We cannot know what to do apart from the revelation and instruction of God. It's beyond us. We can't even think on the same plan as God, yet God can reveal to us his thoughts and what we need to know. We find a case where Paul is sailing from Troas to Samothrace to Neapolis, and then finally he gets to Philippi, which is the foremost city in this part of Macedonia. And while he's there, and this is in Acts the 16th chapter, God has divine appointments already prepared for him. He meets Lydia, the seller of purple, and she becomes a believer in God and his son, the Messiah. He meets the Philippian jailer and the Philippian jailer in the middle of the night as the apostles are singing in the jail and an earthquake happens and all the prison doors are opened 
and the jailer doesn't kill himself because Paul says, don't worry, we're all here. They could have escaped, but they were all there. And the jailer was so amazed by this that he listened to the message and he also became a believer in God and in God's Messiah. So all of this instruction came from relationship and through prayer to God about the circumstances and what to do. That brings us to what I'm going to call participation. We are God's hands and feet in the workplace and in our world in general. So in the case of Abraham, when God revealed that he was planning to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham talked to him and says, well, will you destroy it if there are 50 righteous people? And God said, no, I wouldn't destroy it if there's 50 righteous people. And then he goes down to 45 and Abraham's, what about for 40? What about for 30? What about for 20? What about for 10? And God said, no, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there are even 10 righteous people there. And surely Abraham thought there must be at least 10 righteous people. There's Lot, my nephew, there's his wife, there's his children, there's his sons-in-laws. That must add up to close to 10. And then maybe they know a couple people in the city. But God already knew that there were not even 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet this conversation with Abraham happened because they were in relationship. He allowed Abraham to participate in what he was doing and to have this conversation. Now, our participation includes following that instruction that God gives and whatever it is he tells us that he's doing in the world and that involves us. Now, this participation gets derailed apart from God's revelation and instruction because what looks good to us may not be God's plan. So I'll remind you of King David when he had this desire to build a house for God. And David thought, I'm living in this beautiful home with paneled cedar all around, and God is living still in a temporary tent-like structure. He said, I want to build, he told Nathan the prophet, I want to build a beautiful house for God. And so Nathan the prophet said, go, do all that's in your heart to do, for the Lord is with you. This is 2 Samuel, the seventh chapter. However, that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet, and God told Nathan, no, he will not, that is King David, build a house for me. And he goes on later to say that his descendant would build a house for God. And he said, the real issue here, David, is you're not going to build a house for me at all. Rather, I am going to build a house for you. And that's when God revealed that it's through David's lineage that the Messiah would come and would reign forever. And in the short term, David would have a son who would build a physical temple, a physical house for God until such time as God's church was established and his Messiah came. And this goes back to the Tower of Babel. We don't build the pathway to God. Rather, he determines how the pathway gets built. And he built the house for David 
rather than David building the house for him. And we find in Psalm 127, 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So I would rather have a house built by God any day than a house I'm building of my own choosing, which would be more like a Tower of Babel type of house. One of the things that I really loved about King David in general is that before he faced any battle, whatever he was getting ready to do, most often he remembered to ask God the question, shall I go up, Lord? Shall I enter into this battle or not? And God would answer back and say, yes, go up. I am with you. I have given this people, I've given this army into your hands. Now, this is an ongoing situation. Just because God said yes today doesn't mean he's saying yes tomorrow. We have to stay connected. We have to stay in relationship to find out what is his word for this day. So we discover in Joshua, the seventh and eighth chapters, that Joshua had a great victory at Jericho. And the battle plan was certainly not an earthly one, walking around the city once a day and then seven times on the Sabbath. And then God caused the walls of the city to fall down. A tremendous battle. And furthermore, people were cursed if they decided to rebuild that city. And so we discover that next they were going to a battle against a small town called Ai. And as they were seeking counsel amongst themselves and what to do, the council came back. This is a small town. We don't need to worry about them. Just send up a portion of the army, just a few people, 3,000 soldiers, send them up there. That should be sufficient to take care of AI. However, when they went up there to take care of AI, AI came out and suddenly started slaughtering the men of Israel. And Joshua falls down on his face. What's going on? God, did you bring us out here to kill us and die in the wilderness? Why are we being slaughtered by AI? And that's when God reveals that there's been sin in the camp. Someone has taken what they refer to as the accursed things, meaning there was spoils of that war in Jericho that were supposed to be 100% totally dedicated to God. None of them were to take any of the spoils out of Jericho. However, someone in the camp had taken some items, and that someone later would be revealed as Achan. However, since they didn't ask God about this, God couldn't reveal it to them before they went to the battle of Ai, and they suffered a defeat and had to come running home before more of their people were killed. And so eventually, God did give them success or victory. And victory is the last part I really want to talk about because as God defines the landscape and the situation for us, he is the one who gives the victory. So when God sent Joshua back to the battle of Ai later, it was under different circumstances. First, they had to get the sin out of the camp and they had to stone Achan and his family. And once that sin was removed, then God gave them very specific battle instructions. He told them to set up an ambush, a hidden ambush behind the city of Ai. He also told them to take the army of Israel and to go in the front 
And then as the people and the men of Ai came out to act like they were afraid and overwhelmed and to run from them. And in this way, it would entice all of the men of the city out of the town. And then when all the men of the city were out, the ambush behind the city would then come in, strike the city and burn it down. And then when the men of Ai would look behind them and see the city on fire and try to go back to take care of it, they find themselves surrounded from the front and the back by the army of Israel. And God gave them victory that day. They defeated Ai that time because first they sought God and his plan for what they were to do. And they won that battle. So what I would say is that in our current world, so much is going on around us that apart from our relationship with God and his revelation, we cannot know what's happening or what God would have us to do. So just like he revealed to the king of Israel what the king of Syria was saying in his bedchamber, God can reveal to us what's going on in our workplace that we could not know from human means. God can reveal who's for us, who is against us. God can give a plan. How do you deal with this situation? God is the one who sets up divine appointments, just like he did with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. God is the one who told Philip to go over there and join himself to that chariot and to explain the scriptures more plainly to the Ethiopian eunuch. You can read about that in Acts the 8th chapter. And he explained God's Messiah from the book of Isaiah. So this is God who does all of this for his glory, for his purposes. And we will have victory and success when we faithfully carry out God's purpose and God's plan for our lives and for making a difference with the company that we work with and for and making a difference for the people in that workplace because God wants us to be salt and light wherever we are, including in our workplace. So as we conclude our time today, I want to remind us that God is calling us really to not just pray here and there or pray occasionally, rather to pray without ceasing. So in First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, I'm going to start with verse 16, and it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So as we hold fast to that which is good, as we abstain from that which is evil, God gives us the ability to test all things and to receive his word through his spirit that lives in us as believers, and we can give thanks for all things, rejoice always, and pray without ceasing. God bless you. God bless the work that you're doing in your company today and always.
Hi, this is Dr. Karen, and I'm here today with Yos Snoop, who is the CEO and president of the Bible League. And the Bible League is a ministry that provides Bibles and instructional materials in the Word of God, as well as trains teachers in their local language and culture to share the Word of God and to disciple people. So today, Yost, tell us a little bit about the impact of the Bible League. What's going on out there? Last year, I met this uh, lady. Her name was Nimia. Uh, Nimia was born in 49. She became a Christian in 2002. And last year, we were able to invite her in one of our trainings. At the end of that meeting, she stood up and shared her testimony. She said, this is the first time I received a Bible for my own. And I'm equipped to share the word of God with others. I thought by myself at that point, that's why we are Bible League. That's why God called us to be in ministry, to serve people like that and to equip them with the right materials and with the word of God. Oh, thank you so much, Yos, for sharing that story. And what I want to let everyone know is you can be a part of this movement as well. You can go to BibleLeague.org to find out more about the ministry and also to donate to the ministry. There are lots more stories like the one that Yos just shared today about lives that are changed and impacted for God through Jesus Christ. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.